Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Awesome show today. The big question. Is Kyler Murray going to win MVP? To answer that question, I'm joined by Josh Weinfist, who covers the Arizona Cardinals for ESPN. We talk about Kyler, his rise, Cliff, how that team was built, the NFC West, other NFC contenders, the MVP race. Then Mark Tressman, longtime coach, joins me. He did intensive tape study of Kyler, of the Cliff Kingsbury offense, as well as really good nuggets on Justin Herbert, um, some of the other MVP candidates. Uh, really interesting kind of insight on the Bears team that he coached 2013 and 2014. Uh, I, I love both these conversations, and let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Josh Weinfuss, ESPN, Arizona Cardinals writer, longtime Arizona Cardinals writer. Josh, you're covering a good team right now. Yeah, I don't know what this feels like. It's happened like a team this good. It's only happened one other time. That was 2015 with, you know, Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer and David Johnson coming onto the yeah. scene. So other than that, I mean, there's been some bad football here the last few years. So it's kind of nice. There's been... There's been some real bad football. Um, and now there's some of the most exciting football uh, anywhere on the planet right now. And I want to start here. So the big question for this episode is, can Kyler Murray win the MVP? And I want to start at the beginning. The decision to draft Kyler Murray uh, when they already had Josh Rosen. I mean, we've, we've, we saw the memes many years ago. The Josh is our guy thing which still kind of gets recirculated all the time. Because Cliff Kingsbury gave Josh Rosen a vote of confidence around the time he took the job. 
Um, but how did the franchise view Kyler Murray when they got that first overall pick? And sort of, did they know he was going to be this special? Is that why they made this move, Josh? So they didn't really know anything until they, they hired Kingsbury, which was about like nine, 10 days after that season ended, right? So they came off of a three and 13 year with, with um, Steve Welch in 2018. The year was a disaster, right? He's a, a defensive minded head coach. He changed the entire scheme from a three, four to four, three. They had Rosen, they had Sam Bradford for first like three games, like three quarters, whatever it was. Uh, and it was just an utter, utter mess, right? Wilkes didn't get along with the front office, all sorts of stuff. So then obviously they fired him, hired Cliff Kingsbury. And I think that they didn't care who, like, at that point, when they fired Wilkes in that kind of like week and a half when they were doing their coaching search, I don't think that they even paid attention to the first pick. They wanted to get their coach in place and kind of let him make that decision. Right. But I think the second that they signed Kingsbury to a contract, that first pick was signed, sealed, and delivered, right? They knew who. He knew who he wanted. He had wanted Tyler since he was 15 and couldn't get him at Texas Tech because the kid was an all-world talent. And he went, to obviously, to A&M in, in Oklahoma. So, you know, they wanted to pair Kingsbury up with the quarterback of his choice. And the quarterback of his choice was obviously Tyler Murray. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, I, the Kingsbury hire, and I want to I kind of, again, go back in time here. The Kingsbury hire was strange because he took a college offensive coordinator job and all of a sudden he's an NFL head coach. Um, I don't necessarily want to get into the nuts and bolts of the, why the, that hire has happened, uh, why that hire happened that, 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 that's been well documented. Um, but Cliff's evolution as a pro coach uh, has been what? What do we need to know about Cliff arriving in the NFL? A place that, listen, he was an NFL player. It's not like, you know, we had Bruce Feldman on a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about the difference between Urban Meyer and some of the other guys is that if you've been in the NFL for one day, you understand the beast a little bit more. Urban Meyer had not been. Cliff Kingsbury had been. Um, but the journey to him becoming at least a, I mean, he's an undefeated head coach right now going into Thursday night football. Um, what has been the kind of the, the tent poles of that journey? So first off, it's really funny that you bring up the whole idea that Kingsbury had NFL experience compared to those other coaches. Because so I was standing in Whole Foods the other day talking to my dad, and I brought up that exact point because he understands just the NFL way of life. He understands what guys are going through. And I think that's that's helped him immensely relate to a locker room. Whereas guys like Saban and Urban Meyer and Matt Rule, like they probably understand it to a degree, but not having lived it, not having under, you know, kind of had to go through that that idea that you can get cut every day. Like you need to put food on your table and all that stuff. Like these are grown men and, and Kingsbury understands it. So I think over the three years, that's really helped him quite a bit. But I, what's really kind of evolved with him is his understanding of NFL offensive football. He came in, from what I understand, and he had all these plays he wanted to do. And basically, the coaches who had been around for a while was like, were like, no, 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 no. Like, went across the board and was like, these aren't going to work because you just can't do this in the NFL, whether it's because of the hash marks or because of the athleticism. You know, guys are going sideline to sideline a lot, a lot easier, a lot better here than they are in college. So a lot of the, you know, the, 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 the schemes that he wants to run, all the fancy stuff, like, just wasn't going to work. And, Kingsbury, we heard a lot the first year is he was trying to be too cute with his play calling and play design. And it was true, you know. But I think what we've seen is him kind of understand that, you know, the NFL game is vastly different than the college game. While it's also pretty similar, right? He's putting in Kyler Murray's offensive system, which he's run since the eighth grade, which actually his high school coach got from Kingsbury um, during a coach's clinic down in Lubbock. So he's putting in kind of what, what, 
Murray has already known, kind of what Murray Ryan ran in college, and just kind of pair that with the running game because he understands you have to run the football in the NFL to win. And that evolution over three years is kind of what we're seeing now. And an offense is just, it's really hard to stop. He has the players that he needs to run it. And they have a running game that kind of is just dominant at times. And, and we're just seeing it all kind of blossom into this beautiful flower of the seventh season. All right. So it's interesting because going into this season, I, I literally, I, I believe I used the phrase pray for Cliff because I thought that the Rams were going to be really good, and they are. If the Seahawks are going to be better, obviously we didn't know the Russell Wilson situation, and I thought that the Niners would at least be a playoff team, maybe like a seventh seed, right? Um, or maybe Trey Lance hits, or maybe Garoppolo plays better. I remember the reports in, in August were, ooh, Garoppolo is playing lights out, but so is Trey Lance. Turns out neither of them are playing lights out. Um, <laughs> but it was it just seemed like the Cardinals were going to be a good team with a good quarterback, and they were just going to get absolutely destroyed by by a bunch of teams that were better than them. And if they, you know, they, if if the Cardinals were in the AFC South, it'd be a different story, right? Um, but here they are going in Thursday night as as the best team in in the division. And I'm curious, did they see this coming, or are they a little bit surprised right now? I mean, if you ask them, they saw this coming. Of course, I mean, they, they're like, oh, we're going to go on the field. Did, did the they Super see Bowl. this coming in July or did they see this in October looking back on July? Uh, I think that they knew they were going to be good, right? I think when okay. you added the pieces that they added, they knew what holes they had after last season. And, you know, I've been saying this a lot lately. Last year, they were, and, you know, excuse the pun, they were a house of cards. They had a couple of good pieces, you know, but they, there wasn't a foundation to this team. And going out and getting AJ Green, um, drafting Rondell Moore, getting James Conner. I think that really solidified this, this offense into what it is today. Because now, you know, and, and you know, it's, it sounds cliche, but a defense can't cover all these guys, right? You can't right. double-team DeAndre Hopkins and have your number two receiver be, or, or but their number two receiver, EJ Green, kind of run wild. And if you're going to cover him, then Christian Kirk's of it. You know, like this, there's just so many weapons. And they go four wide, they go five wide. They have a running game that can go 99 yards. So they knew what pieces they had, and they knew that they had the personnel to be good. And then let's talk about defense, because I think that defense is really kind of a, as big of a part of the story, but it's getting, it's getting overlooked, I think, nationally because of how good Kyler's playing. I mean, you add J.J. Watt, which honestly nobody really knew what he had with you know when, when they signed yeah. him in March. Um, you know, you draft David Collins, which was head-scratching because you already drafted Isaiah Simmons last year, and you had Jordan Hicks on the roster. But somehow it went from Jordan Hicks wanting out to this three-man unit coexisting at a very high level together. Um, you know, obviously Chandler Jones and brought back Marcus Golden last year. So they have a lot of pieces on defense that are, they're, they're complementing each other very well. Because now what you're we're seeing is Chandler Jones on one side, Marcus Golden on the other, and J.J. Watt up the middle. And he's playing at a very high level, even if his numbers don't mm-hmm. show. It. They are great on third down, and they're great at stopping teams from scoring. Well, when you have a team that's scoring 30 points a game, like, that's a great recipe. So they knew they had the pieces. I don't think they expected this team to be this good at this point, right? I think they probably thought it would take, you know, four or five games to get going. But all of a sudden, they dominate the Titans week one, and it's kind of, you know, off and running from there. All right. So what I like about your answer is you said that no one's talking enough about the defense nationally. They're only talking about Kyler. So I'm going to ask you five Kyler questions in a row. Um, all right. So uh, let's take, take me inside the, the leap here because Kyler Murray's playing like an MVP candidate and, and it's been unbelievable to watch. And some of that, as you said, is the offense around him is Rondell Moore is just certain other guys around him, 
taking the leap. And, you know, even though Rodney Hudson's banged up, somebody like him, you know, we had um, Jim Manos on, on the pod a couple weeks ago, and he was saying that when he when he talks to when he's in head coaching at job interviews, sometimes they say rank the rank the positions that you prioritize. And so often when you're maximizing your quarterback center is where you start, uh, especially with the young quarterback uh, protection, all that sort of help. But if you're to point to a couple of things, okay, this is happening. His greatness, his leap here is happening because of blank. Uh, where do we start, Josh? His ability to check in and out of place. So Ooh. we had, we really didn't see that the first couple of years. And we're seeing a ton this year. He has a much better understanding of a, what the Cardinals are doing. B, what Cliff is thinking, and C, what defenses are trying to do to him. So when he sees stuff at the line of scrimmage, you know, he's, he, he's been checking in and out of a ton all year, right? Just, just you know, it, whether it's plays, whether it's blocking schemes, whatever it is, some of that is from Rodney Hudson, who's playing at a very, he was playing at a very high level before he got hurt mm-hmm. too. Um, and that, that helped him, that helped Kyler quite a bit. Because before this, he was playing behind a very young center in Mason Cole, right. now with the Vikings. And that just wasn't, that wasn't a good recipe for, a young quarterback to develop. But now he has a veteran mm-hmm. center. But we're seeing Kyler kind of that, that understand, right? He's taking that mental jump just as much as he's taking a physical jump. So, you know, if he sees the safety shade one way, he's going, you know, he'll check into a throw to DeAndre, whatever it is. But that's allowed him to kind of take control of this offense. So whatever Cliff calls, Kyler has that freedom to go into whatever he wants, whatever he's comfortable with. And every one of their plays has three options. It's a run, it's a pass, it's a Kyler keeper. So he's able to kind of just, just do what he wants out there. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing that guy that was great in high school, that was great in college, now be able to have that ownership and that freedom to do what he wants in the field. And now he's doing that in the NFL. Wow. That, that was, that was fascinating. Um, I didn't, I didn't anticipate that, you know, with, with, with Kyler and, you know, his, we're going to talk about this a little bit later with, with Mark Trussman, but, with Kyler and his athleticism, I think that sometimes people don't realize how good of a passer he's been. And you see that now. I mean, like, to be honest with you, I, I don't think AJ Green has a lot left, but he looks like he has a lot left when Kyler Murray makes him look good. Um, and, and with the Hopkins thing, with the Kirk, Kirk thing, uh, I mean, there's just so many options, as you said, in, in the offense. And I'm curious, um, you know, how they built this receiving core and what they had kind of in mind when they're putting it together. I mean, obviously, if you can get DeAndre Hopkins, you get DeAndre Hopkins. Um, but how did they view sort of the the uh, the accumulation of these assets to build around Kyler, and how did they maximize him from just a personnel standpoint? They've been trying to do this for three years, right? So his right. rookie year, in 19, they drafted Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson. The, Johnson's not on the team anymore. And they drafted one more, um, Hassan Butler, I think it was. They cut him pretty early on. I think it maybe before year two. Um, Keyshawn Johnson was cut for this season and Andy Isabella has barely been active this year. So they've been trying to put these, these options around him and they just haven't panned out. So then obviously you trade for DeAndre Hopkins, get him for David Johnson and a bag of footballs, basically. And, you know, and then this year, and I think they realized last year that after him, there, there really wasn't much. You know, Larry Fitzgerald, as great as he was, he just wasn't that anymore. He was good for five yards, you know, great in the locker room, all that stuff, but he just wasn't producing the way they needed him to on the field. So once you're able to move on from him, it seemed like there was kind of a weight lifted off this team. And you saw, you know, Christian Kirk move back into the slot, which he played in college. He's flourishing there. They needed a really, really good number two. And not like you brought up the fact that EJ Green might not have a lot left in him, but playing alongside DeAndre Hopkins and with a quarterback like Kyler, he looks like he has a ton left in him. And right. he's been making plays when he needed to, you know, like Kyler dropped that 41 yard pass to him 
across the field on Sunday. And it was like, I mean, he put it right in his bread basket. It was like, just dropped it right in there. It was incredible. Um, so Kyler is making these guys good, right? They're obviously really good receivers. I should say he's making them look great at times. So they wanted to put the right pieces around him, veterans, guys that can fit specific roles. And then, you know, so you have, you know, DeAndre's your number one, AJ's your number two, Christian Kirk's your number three, and Ronnie Lamar is kind of your, you know, your four, but he can kind of do a little bit of everything. And then they're running out Chase Edmonds out of the backfield. So they wanted to surround him with the pieces that he needs to run this version of the air raid, quote unquote, and be able to kind of check into things like I was talking about and make defenses not have a clue who's going to be the, who's going to have the big game. And they've done that. They've yeah. given them talent, but each guy's different. Each guy brings their own unique set of skills, and that gives Kyler the ability to kind of use each guy in specific situations, and I think, I mean, obviously it's worked. Who did the Cardinals, and maybe, maybe there's no answer here, but obviously with with the, the Rams being as good as they are, but then they won by 17 points a couple of weeks ago, um, they would consider that the biggest threat. Um, is this in your, you're around them every day. Is this a Super Bowl team? Like, is this a, is this a, a Super Bowl level team or is this a like seven and oh, it's nice. They might make the playoffs kind of thing. Um, you've been around, I mean, obviously yeah. we talked about it a little bit earlier. You were around the Carson Palmer Rosarians teams that got to the conference championship game. We're competing for Super Bowls. Is this that, that kind of team or is this team like a year away? No, this is, this is a Super Bowl team and this is a team that could, they, that not, can't just not get, could not just get it. They, they could win the Super Bowl at this point, I think. But, and this is a huge caveat, and I know we hear it from every single team, but it's even more important with the Cardinals. Kyler Murray needs to stay healthy. Because if he's not right. able to play at his level, this team is not, it, it, it's a playoff team, but it's not a Super Bowl team. He makes it a Super Bowl caliber team and a team able to win the Lombardi Trophy in February at SoFi, where they've obviously already won one. So, um, well, I tweeted this out for the season because I wanted to kind of honestly between us and everyone that's listening, I wanted record of this out there. Right. This offense reminded me a lot of 2015, but it has mm-hmm. better pieces. And that was, that was after training camp. That was before the season started because you can see what Kyler, how Kyler developed. You can see what he was looking at in DeAndre Hopkins. You kind of saw in training camp how good AJ Green was looking for being what 33 and then you saw the little pieces here and there. You know, you saw, you know, I think a, a major story that, that's kind of falling way under the radar, and I'm not surprised, is that Chase Edmonds has become this very, very good pass catcher out of the backfield. So that's added a totally different dynamic to this team. So they just had all those pieces. You saw Kyler's maturity. I mean, he said one thing this this, this year, and he would basically, the, I don't say the media's had a bad relationship with him, but it hasn't been fantastic, right? He's He's laughed at some of our questions. It feels like the question he gives us, he was giving us short answers. And that's changed this year. And at one point he said, I understand what you guys are trying to do. I understand you guys have a job. And like that would never come out of his mouth the first two years. So we're seeing this maturity as a human being, as a man and as a player. And I think between that and all the weapons and all the pieces, it's just kind of, this is a Super Bowl caliber team. And like I said, this team could win the Super Bowl um, this year. All right. What's one thing we don't know about Kyler Murray? Like, because I, I think a lot of times, Josh, like a guy gets famous. We know everything about Aaron Rodgers now. We know every single thing about Russell Wilson. In fact, we just learned that Russell Wilson, if he can't play, just kind of runs around the field doing mental reps or whatever. So we're learning things about, I guess we're learning new things all the time. But we know a hell of a lot about the star quarterbacks in this league. If you just read Seth Wickersham's book, you learned a hell of a lot more about Tom Brady um, than you did. 
Uh, Kyler Murray is going to be on that level in a couple of years. He's getting to that level now. Uh, what 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 are we going to be talking about in two years with Kyler Murray? I don't know if we're going to be talking about it in two years. Well, we probably will because he probably we're talking about now. We can start the narrative. Whatever narrative you want to start right now, we will just start it. He loves video games. He is like this. Whatever. He's a gamer. He might be our first gamer gamer MVP. Hundred percent. I mean, he's part of the 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 Face Clan, which is a massive gaming team, community, corporation, kind of whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, after every win this year, he has gone home and turned on his Twitch stream to. to play games and he has about a thousand people watching him and kind of he's showing a side of him and, and he actually likes it. I talked about the story coming out on Thursday uh, before the Thursday night game against the Packers about how he loves to stream and kind of what we've learned from watching his stream over the last kind of month, month and a half, the first seven weeks, if you will. Um, he wants people to get to know him underneath that helmet. He wants to show his personality and he does that by playing video games with, with his boys. You know, a lot of the guys he plays with are guys that he grew up with, guys he met at middle school, high school, all this stuff. Some guys from Oklahoma. Once in a while, we'll see you know, a Cardinal pop on there. But he just, that's his way of decompressing. You, you can see he's incredibly competitive on the game. And he actually told me that he yells more at the game than on the field. So we're seeing a different side of him. And I think this is kind of a new wave. Like, we're just, there's a lot of guys who play video games around the NFL. So I start, so I think, you know, more guys that kind of see what Kyler's doing and, letting people in, I think we're going to see more of it. And I think we're going to start getting unique access to these guys that we would never have gotten elsewhere. All right. A couple more for you. Uh, number one, if Kyler Murray wins the MVP, it's because of what? What does he need to do for the next, I, well, how many weeks are left in season 10? Um, because I think that there's there's a conversation here with, there's a lot of kind of upper crust quarterbacks right now, maybe three or four. Um, what does he need to do uh, to to separate himself? He needs to keep winning. He needs to bring this right. franchise to a level they've never been to. I mean, they win this week, they start eight and zero for the first time in franchise history. Um, and then obviously, you know, he needs to prove that he's. I think there's this common misperception of him that he's just a running quarterback with it with an arm. Like like you pointed out earlier, he has an incredible arm. Right? He has. Right. He could be a drop back passer if he really wanted to, but. He also knows that his legs can get him out of a lot of trouble, which they have. And we've seen the marriage of both. We've seen him use his legs to get out of trouble, then drop dimes, right? Like he can do, he can do both. So I think if he keeps that up and they keep winning, I mean, I don't want to say it's going to be a no brainer, but I don't, I don't know. I think Josh Allen might be the closest competition at this point, maybe Brady, but I think that, you know, I think he's going to make a very, he's going to have a very strong case to be the MVP this week. Uh, Pro Bowl Focus had a piece today kind of rating the MVP candidates and they had, Stafford, Murray, Prescott, Brady. And I think that's probably the four right now. And barring any sort of crazy thing um, in the next 10, 10 weeks, I think that's right. Uh, one more for you. As a, as a leader, and that's the big thing with the young quarterbacks thing, um, and just sort of a commander locker room thing, is he more of a... And listen, this, this, one of the things that, that NFL teams have adjusted over the past 10 years is... The coach always wanted the rah-rah guy, the kind of, you know, varsity blues speech kind of quarterback in the, in the halftime or whatever. And I think most people realize a lot of that doesn't necessarily matter. Um, you know, and, and there's different types of leadership and all that stuff. Uh, since we don't know a ton about Kyler Murray on the NFL level because he doesn't play a lot of Sunday night games, doesn't play a lot of Monday night games, uh, that, that piece is what? He is... He's more spoken than he was as a rookie, but he's still not, he's, he's not that rah-rah guy, right? But he is a guy that was going to chew your, 
chew you out if you screw up. And he'll do it on practice, he'll do it on the field. Um, but he's been able to win the trust of, of guys in the locker room from rookies to, to the vets because of, of his approach. He's more of a, uh, I'll show you kind of guy. He'll lead by example. He's very competitive. Um, and guys know that, you know, he will, especially offensive linemen, they know he, they will make him look right or they'll make him, they, he will make them look right. Um, so I think the combination of, this, of all of that has been kind of Kyler developing as a leader. He's, he goes out to dinner with, the offensive line every week. He picked up the tab last week. Um, he, he, he knows w- what he needs to do to get guys to believe in him. And he's been doing it. You know, he, he was, very, like I said, very quiet the first year when we had at Bodrum Access. Didn't really talk to a lot of guys, kind of kept his head down. And then we started to see him coming out of his shell. And I mm-hmm. asked him about that once and he tried to contest that. He's like, I don't really have a shell. And I was like, well, you do. But from what I see, from what we see on a day-to-day basis, you become, you've had more of a personality show the last couple of years. And what he said to me was that if he knows you, if he's comfortable with you, that personality will be there. But if he doesn't know you, then he's going to kind of go into that shell like a little hermit and just wait until he's comfortable with, with, with you. And I think that's pretty common in society, right? I mean, who's just totally open and, and verbose and all this other stuff with guys he just met. So I think, Early on, that's what we saw out of him. And now uh, he's more comfortable with guys and he understands his role in this team, right? He loves being the face of the franchise. And the guys Aaron, who, the guy, I just to interrupt yeah, you for a second. Yeah. The guys who are really verbose and, and like out, out there as soon as they get there are normally the frauds who get found out pretty quickly. Anyway, go ahead. I, I agree with you. I agree. <laughs> and the one thing that I think really stood out to me this year is he loved, like, love, love what Aaron Rodgers said in his big press conference to start training camp, right? He loved the idea Uh-oh. Uh-oh. of taking... <laughs> That's not good for Arizona. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think it empowered Tyler to a point because, you know, he, he's always wanted to have some sort of say in personnel, but now he yeah. feels like, this is my team. Uh, now I know what talking. we need to win. Now we're talking. Now He wants, like, he, he loves texting Kingsbury and GM Steve Kime about guys. You know, he even said, he's like, Ooh. I will shoot, basically, he'll shoot his shot, right? He'll be like, I want yeah. this guy, I want this guy. He's like, it doesn't happen, it's out of my control, but he's like, I'm going to let them know who I want and what I want, because I'm out there, I understand what we need, what, we, what we're missing, what we have better than anybody, and I, I agree with him, right? So I think we're starting to see that leadership kind of in, improve and develop over every single aspect, facet of, of him as a person, him as a player, and we're kind of, I mean, we're we're literally watching him mature and develop in front of our eyes. Unbelievable. He's a, Kyler Murray's on Twitch. Josh Weinfest is on ESPN. You can you can find both of those guys there. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. 
Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, Mark Tressman, a uh, longtime coach, head coach, offensive coordinator at many different levels of football. We are excited for him to break down offenses, quarterbacks, coaching, all of it. Mark, what's going on, buddy? It's a lot to ask, Kevin. I'll do the best I can, but uh, thanks for coming <laughs> out today. I'm, I'm appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you. Yeah, I know. This will be really fun. So I, I wanted to start the, the theme of the episode, um, big picture, is is Kyler Murray going to win MVP? And I think that there is something uh, really interesting about when a quarterback makes the leap, about why he, he, he made the leap and kind of everything that, that went right for him. And we're seeing a guy right now who is playing as good as anybody in the league. I'm curious, when you watch the tape, Mark, uh, you see what from Kyler, first of all, and then we'll get into the Cardinals offense. Yeah, I think I think we should start with the big picture, Kevin, and just talk about what's going on around him. Uh, three years with the same coach, familiarity with the offense. Uh, Steve Kime has done a, a tremendous job of adding some difference-making and game-wrecking pieces uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, they also play continuity football in Arizona, where the defense is is matching a lot of the things the offense is doing. Um, they're playing the run to pass in in Arizona is 50-50, 49-51. That's a little unusual for the NFL. So what you know, where where uh, Laura Trevor Lawrence is in a 60-40 uh, pass to run, Kyler's in a 50-50 pass to run or run to pass. Um, that helps him a lot. Uh, he also doesn't change protections at the line of scrimmage. And what they've done for him, if they've made it uh, very much a quarterback-friendly offense from that, that side of it, and I'll be interesting, interesting when, when the Packers see that, how they maybe incorporate some things defensively to confuse the line uh, to get to him. Um, 50% or more of the passes have been on or near the line of scrimmage. The last three weeks, they're 80% on third down. They've completed, they've converted all their fourth downs over the year, 100%. So there's a lot of big picture things going on. He's also always in the gun. So they don't have to work on being under center. Their play action comes from under the gun. But then the progression over the last three weeks has been very visible. Three weeks ago, uh, they came out against the 49ers. And they didn't throw a pass beyond 10 yards till late in the game. Um, they won a close game. Uh, it was really a high school offense, but then there has been a big progression uh, over the last three weeks. Nothing's really original and nothing's complex, but they're starting to run more play action passes, more NFL, or in a, I would say productive NFL concepts, nothing complex, but more up the field, deeper crossing routes, outside lane throws and things like that. So I just wanted to, the big picture is, you know, this is a guy who has everything going for him around him. And really as a 50, 50 run to pass team, they're not expecting him to have to win the game. That's obviously they're playing as a team in my opinion, but then you, you look to the player and you cannot be more excited. Um, there's a guy that just, let's talk about mechanics his footwork in the pocket is impeccable, uh, as good as anybody in the league. He's got great feet. And we have, I haven't talked about athleticism at all yet, but he has tremendous feet, and he is, he is being coached to do it a certain way, and he's showing that he's coachable. 
a quick three is a quick three, a rock and throw is a rock and throw, three big, two quick, you know, and the gun is equivalent of a seven step and his right foot's at nine and a half yards. So all of his mechanics coincide with the depths of the routes. He's as good as anybody with that. The thing I really like about him when he's in the pocket, he's an excellent pocket passer. Uh, tip of the ball and the V in the neck. The ball is up and out. It's a beautiful, smooth motion is that his eyes are always up. He's always working the pocket and looking to complete. When he gets those true NFL concepts where there's a deep over with a flat and a check, he's reading through it. He's, he's playing with a quiet mind and he's staying in the pocket as long as he can. And when he climbs or when he slides, his always eyes are always up. He's looking to finish progressions and looking to down the field to make the throws and looking to run last. He plays with an incredible, quiet, and confident demeanor. I would bet he doesn't have to take a shower after games. That's how calm he is. <laughs> and yet, yet he's take over the three weeks he has taken some hits. And there, there are things that defenses are going to test him on by pushing the middle of the pocket, where his height could be a disadvantage, and he plays well in the pocket. Um, they'll push the pocket and the the uh, the uh, Browns and and the 49ers did a good job of containing him and keeping him in the pocket to make the throws. He was not a difference maker against the 49ers, but he did show on the last couple plays of the game his ability to drop back and throw the ball down the field. He completed balls that he should have completed, and he made plays, you know, fades and things like that, uh, dropping back and throwing out of the pocket. So he's a lot to get excited about, but he's also playing. He's one guy in 22 or 53, and they're using the whole team to win games. And, yes, he is a difference maker with his feet and his legs, but he's one heck of a quarterback and uh, will continue to grow. But the game isn't on his shoulders until it has to be. And when when it has to be, he's making the plays. Mark, we we talked briefly yesterday about what we were going to talk about today, and you mentioned that you'd recruited Russell Wilson out of high school when you were at NC State. You didn't uh, coach him by the time that he he was uh, starting for for the Wolfpack. Um, But I'm curious, when a quarterback doesn't have the size advantage, and listen, things have changed so much over the last 20 years. I remember the reason Drew Brees dropped to the second round was because he wasn't six feet tall. Um, Russell Wilson dropped to the third round. Kyler Murray was the first overall pick, and part of that, you know, Baker was also uh, not prototypical size. He was a first overall pick, but things have changed so much. I'm curious, um, is that the game changing? Is that just front offices realizing the smaller guy can be good? Is that is that scheme changes? Uh, why are uh, shorter quarterbacks, and, and listen, Justin Herbert's doing great at 6'6", um, but why are shorter quarterbacks thriving now than maybe they, they weren't 20 years ago? Well, that, that's, you know, five generations ago, Fran Tarkin was one of the best quarterbacks right. in the world. And he was Russell Wilson's size. He was barely uh, to six feet tall. And when I recruited Russell Wilson, really, that's who I thought he would be. And the only reason, as I as I told you yesterday, I gave Russell a first-round grade in charisma and football intelligence and a third-round grade. I'm talking high school, but projecting him as a college player as a third-round pick because I was afraid to, to, to say that a 5'10 quarterback could play in the NFL. But the, the fact is, it's proven that they can, that they can stand in the pocket and throw the ball. And I think that going to your question, it's more like when you're a coordinator today, you would give anything if your quarterback could extend a play and make a first down on third down a couple of times a game with his legs or his athleticism. 
that goes a long way to extending drives and making plays. And I think that that's more what, what coordinators are looking for. Justin Herbert can do it. You know, Tannehill can do it. Dak can do it. You know, around the league, there's just sufficient enough to either do it well or do it what I would call sufficiently enough to get it done. Uh, let's kind of go around and, you know, we talked a little bit about Cliff's offense here and kind of how everything has changed as far as, you know, Cliff was a, a college coach a couple of years ago. He took a job as a college coordinator before he took the job in Arizona in the same offseason. Um, you know, when you look at how offenses have changed and incorporating a little more college concepts over the past couple of years, and, and you're a guy, you straddled that line a handful of times. You're not, not only were you a college coordinator, you were an NFL head coach, you were a, in, in Canada as a head coach. Um, I'm curious, the biggest change over the past you know, few years as far as that goes has been what, Mark? Yeah, I think the biggest change is what teams are doing with, number one, misdirection. There's a lot more motion a lot more ghost, um, a lot more just moving people around at the snap of the ball to create misdirection from a defensive standpoint. Uh, more teams are in the gun more. More teams aren't going, you know, traditional under center on first down and then in the gun on, the, on second and third down. They can be in the gun and empty on the first play of the game from the minus 10. Uh, everybody is using the entire offense on all four downs. Um, so I don't see when I'm watching, you know, Cliff's offense, they are a traditional NFL offense out of the mm. gun. You know, they're not using a lot of motion, a lot of there, there's a little bit of it. But the plays that they are running are universal NFL plays. And around the league, you know, that you probably see I mean, there's four or five teams, you know, Kansas City's one of them. And I just say that they do a good job with their research and development. They go back and uh college and high school and find these little nuanced boutique plays and they're not afraid to throw them out there but mm -hmm. most of the teams are running conventional plays there's a lot more bubbles uh right. to take feet off the quarterback that was that's really evident when you watch you know certainly the cardinals but you know aaron Rodgers has used them the last five six years um they're a lot more evident and that comes from the colleges yeah, no, and it's fascinating to sort of see that evolution. You know, looking at your resume, Mark, um, one, one thing that stands out to me is at the NFL level, at the NFL level, you've not had a ton of young quarterbacks. Um, you were the uh, last NFL stop was in Baltimore. You had Joe Flacco, Jay Cutler, obviously was mid career. Uh, even going back there, you had Rich Gannon with the Raiders, Steve Young at one point. You were the quarterbacks coach um, and offensive coordinator for. Um, and I'm curious, you know, when you think about young quarterbacks now, going off of Kyler, going off of so much of the success, some of these guys have had Mahomes came in second year was so good. Um, is it easier now to be a young quarterback than it was? Uh, you know, even even just a few years ago because of not only the scheme changes, but then the rule changes because of the college game and the way that it's played. But what when when the NFL power is coming into is more conducive to being a successful young quarterback? I think that's a that's a really hard question. And this is really a not a strong opinion, but I think that quarterbacks drafted in the first round should play right away. Right. You know, I, I think that I, I, there's always the anomaly that they don't have to play because there's a great player in front of them but I think you got to get out there and and get him playing as quickly as you can my the youngest quarterback really I had was was Jake Plummer and uh and he was in his second or third year at the time and I didn't do a very good job initially I tried to protect him and as soon as we started throwing the ball more and going to no huddle and doing no and, and letting him use his his gifts his athleticism and his arm talent you know we used the running game to keep him honest but 
you know, just letting them go was, was, was the way to go. So I'm not the best expert on this because I haven't worked with, right. you know, any of these young guys, but, um, you know, they're, I think part of it is they're more trained up. They're getting more off season training. They're working with quarterback coaches. They're getting, they're learning offenses in the off season, uh, through the training sessions that they have. And they're just more developed and, uh, highly involved, evolved, I think now than they ever have be- been before. And they're throwing the ball more than ever, you know, in college. You know, we talked a little bit yesterday briefly about kind of what you think about the the current crop of head coaches, and you know, obviously Cliff Kingsbury uh, missed missed uh, time with 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 COVID and all that stuff, and so it's been a little bit stunted there. Um, but I'm curious, and you you were is it true? I, I read this that you're are you teaching a class at University of Miami on leadership? Yeah, uh, this past off season, I taught a uh, a leadership course at the law school there where I graduated, and uh, now we're talking. School. And uh, I was on an advisory board there um, for the last five or six years, and they asked me to do a class virtually last year. And now we've taken it up a notch in what we're doing it uh, on campus this year. That's great. I went to University of Miami. I was all over that subway in the law school there. That's my only tie to the law school is that there's a great subway there. Um, all right. So when you're looking at the current crop of coaches um, in the NFL, uh, it's a younger group, kind of like the quarterbacks. Um, but are there, are there any coaches right now who stand out to you as sort of, um, you know, obviously we know the, the Belichick's and the Reeds and the Harbaugh's, but are there any coaches right now that are maybe not talking enough about, Mark? Um, I think that it's, you know, I just, uh, as we talked yesterday, you know, there's, there's signs that things are changing. I mean, I like the way Pete Carroll came out the other day yeah. and showed vulnerable. I think vulnerability is key, you know, to leadership today. Leadership is more horizontal. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second where, it does. We've, we've seen coaches go out with COVID and teams continue to win. Stefanski right. did it last year, and who's a great young coach. Uh, it happened with Cliff. Uh, but Pete came out and said, you know, I may not be the coach I, you know, I, I have been without Russell. That, that's vulnerability. We need more of that, that, you know, it's not just about us as leaders. I think a young coach, Staley, has really done a good yeah. job. His comments on, on John Gruden were epic, in my opinion. Um, the way he expressed himself as a young leader and understanding conceptually, uh, you know, what John had done and, and, and did it in a, in a really classy way. I thought that was, you know, really impressive. You know, I think that, uh, you know, for, for young coaches, it's about, you know, having people around them, an inner circle that they can count on and, and, and utilize. And, you know, the number one probably rule on leadership is just to listen better, but the, the world is changing. You know, the, uh, Cardinals proved they could win without Cliff. That's not right. that's yes. not a, a knock against Cliff. It's it's just saying that you know you can lead from any role, and and the and the Raiders have done the same. Um, players can take on leadership roles. Coaches can take on leadership roles. It's much more horizontal. That doesn't mean you know if you're the coordinator, you got the fifty one percent rule. If you're the head coach, you got the fifty one percent rule. But you know the the leaders that allow uh, power and uh, opportunity. Uh, to go to the people they lead uh, leads to better locker rooms, you know, and I think you see that going on, you know, throughout the league. You saw it with the Cardinals this past couple of weeks when Cliff was out. You saw how the the the, the uh, Browns handled it last year when uh, Kevin Stefanski was out. Everybody just took accountability and had an opportunity to lead from wherever they were within the organization, and that's where things are going. That's fascinating. Um, you, know, you were the head coach of the 2013 and 2014 Bears. That was an interesting locker room. Jay Cutler, Marty Bennett was on that team. Um, a lot of big personalities. What did you learn about football and trying to to manage that? And then were there 
uh, things that stick out to you, mistakes, things you wish you could take back or um, have back, whatever? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I did, I, you know, I made mistakes, no doubt about it. And there were some perceptions that, that have come out of, you know, Chicago that really aren't reality. And I just have just had to live with that. But, you know, going into it, you know, I really respected Lovey Smith. You know, I didn't think he deserved to get fired. I think they were right. 10 and 6 that year. They so I, I went into an organization where, um, you know, I, I coached a little bit differently. A lot of the concepts that I truly believe in that are being used now in football, you know, we were using then. But I didn't really pay attention to some of the stronger personalities who were out there on the team. And I wish I would have spent more time with them. I spent a lot of time with a lot of the players, but not enough time with the guys that were, I think were the, the decorated veterans and realizing right. the loyalty they had. I wish I would have done that that differently. I think uh, that that really goes to it. In the first year, we had a hell of a year. And, you know, the, we, we lost on fourth downs to Aaron Rodgers, which teams have done in the past. And, yeah. and we just couldn't do it again. Um, you know, we were 13 and 13 you know, at one point in time, and then we went on a, a major losing streak and, you know, people have their own opinions of why it happened. I, I take responsibility for that, but, you know, just a better job listening and trying to understand what I was getting myself into. Uh, I think instead of getting caught up in how I wanted it to be, um, the players that were new and younger got it very quickly. The ones that were older, it was more difficult for them to understand. And then when we started to lose at the end, yeah, I just couldn't, it just couldn't, uh, we just couldn't hold it together perceptively. Uh, reality wise, I think we could have. Yeah, no, it, and it's interesting because you, you've coached college players, great college players, and you've, you've coached great uh, NFL players as well, obviously. And one thing that I think has, has reared its head as far as from a leadership standpoint has been Urban Meyer um, over the past couple of weeks and people talking about how you can't coach college players like NFL players and and, and vice versa, obviously. Um, and that that jump, and Cliff is doing it as well, that Cliff understood the NFL level because he played in it. Um, but with the difference between coaching college players and strong veteran NFL players is what, Mark? Well, I, I think that everything starts with trust. Right. You know, everything starts with having relationships. So I don't look at it being different. I mean, I don't have enough experience at the college level. The thing I know in college, when you coach them, the most important thing in their life is necessary foot, football. That's what I did really love about college football. You had to deal with the other aspects of it. When you walk into a, uh, an NFL you know, locker room, it's all about football, but it's still all about relationships. It's still all about developing trust it's, it's all about not just saying how you doing, but, you know, what are your hopes and dreams? What do you care about? What can I do for you? How can I help you get better? And it starts with knowing your science. You have to know, you have to be able to take the complexity and science of football, which isn't just blocking and tackling. It's a lot more than that. It's taking science and making it simple for the players. And players have to believe that you can help them master their craft. That's number one whether it's through your coordinators, whether it's administratively, whatever it is, they have to believe that whatever position you're in, you can help them master their craft and take a complex game and make it simple so they can execute during the chaos of a game. Uh, that's the big difference to me. It's fascinating. Um, the big picture question on this entire podcast, Mark, was can Kyler Murray win the MVP or is Kyler Murray going to be the MVP? You've watched a lot of tape of Kyler, but you've watched also some of the other uh, candidates, whether that's Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, 
Um, at the end of the year, looking uh, off of what you've seen, who do you think is going to have the best 21, 2021 season, Mark? Boy, that's, uh, the, the, we know the season is fluid. Um, so we just right. have to base it on seven games. And when you go down the line, you just, you know, everybody wants to coach Justin Herbert. You know, I right. talked about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago on a podcast. There's nuances to coaching the Mahomes of the world. There's nuances to, you know, Russell Wilson's and of the world, the guys that make things happen that are so amazing. They have this amazing it factor. But if you tell Justin Herbert to take five quick plan and throw or take three, three big, two quick and hitch, second hitch to the wide and kick it out to the flare control, that's what shows up on tape. And then he runs. So um, I, I just look at him as just being a joy to watch. I yeah. mean, it's, it's you know, Dak is, is certainly proven early on that he's right in it. Aaron Rodgers is impeccable. Yeah. Um, you know, Josh Allen, to me, is, you know, continues to, you know, he's going to play well the end of the season here. Um, those are the guys that just pop in my mind. Yeah. And, you know, I think Tannehill's done a great job of managing this football team and doing, you know, he's won as many games as any of them and won as many in the fourth quarter. I think he, because of Henry, he's, his play has been understated. That's fascinating. Um, with Herbert in particular, um, you know, six six, great vision, can make all the throws. I mean, it looks like he doesn't even make a bad pass. Right? It's just really unbelievable to see how he started his uh, his career so far, right, Mark? Yeah, I mean, you said a Herbert, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm, a, I'm amazed at uh, how flawless he is with drops, reads, and progressions. And again, he's got the luxury of of uh, Joe Lombardi there. You know who was you know with this with the uh, with Breeze and the Saints for such a long time. So the offense is there running. It's not any kind of experiment. He is putting on tape exactly what Drew Breeze did, and he's got all Drew Breeze tape to learn from, which is he, he's in an optimal position. Wow, uh, Mark Tressman, longtime NFL coach, longtime college coach, University of Miami Law. Uh, what not not professor lecturer. Adjunct professor. Adjunct professor. I love that. Uh, that yeah. was awesome insight. Thank you so but I much. Tell him to call me Mark. I'm not ready to. Call <laughs> professor. They can call you coach too, right? Yeah, they, they can do that. They can always do that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Kevin, you do a do a great job. Keep up the great work, both on the podcast and in your writing. It's it's cutting edge, great stuff. Awesome. I appreciate that, man. That means the world. Thank you so much. Yeah, you take care. Three, two, one. All right. Thank you to Josh and Mark for joining us. Next up on this feed will be Nora and Mallory for the Thursday show. I will be back next Tuesday for a trade deadline special. Really looking forward to that. Uh, it'll be a live reaction to whatever happens. And if there's nothing that happens, we'll talk about that too. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for production help with additional production supervision by Arjuna Ramball. This has been the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs>